Welcome to VIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business of Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The life sciences sector has grown significantly in British Columbia in recent years, augmented considerably by research and innovation related to the pandemic. But listen, more broadly, in generating an overall nexus in the province for excellence in wide-ranging fields, not necessarily having to do with the coronavirus. Last week, Life Sciences BC, the organization that represents the sector, held its investor summit to help startup firms and entrepreneurs gain new skills and certainly gain access to the cash that they need in order to reach that next level. I want to get an update on its impact with the CEO of Life Sciences BC. And welcome back to the podcast, Wendy Hurlbert. Good to see you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, what's the environment right now for investment in this field? Uh, we have hit record levels um, in uh, British Columbia in attracting investment over the last 18 months. We raised almost $2 billion of capital came into British Columbia. So wow. way over indexing what we would typically see. Um, and there is a lot, a lot of interest in, uh, in BC innovation. What are investors generally looking for? I mean, this sounds like a bit of a gold rush, but they, they must be fussy as well. Um, yes, I mean, they are investors, <laughs> as you say. And we, um, so as you, as you mentioned, we had our annual Invest in BC conference last week. Um, and we had a number of companies pitching, but we also had a really interesting panel where some of the experienced longtime investors in life sciences and in British Columbia and North America spoke about what they are looking for. And um, one of the things that they said, which I thought was really interesting to your point about taking it away from a gold rush, that these are investors that are looking for returns. And they're looking for things that are unique, that are complementary, that have the potential of going the long haul. But they also, the message they said to the companies that were pitching is, remember what you're also pitching is, how are you gonna make me money? because investors yeah. are also looking for deal flow. So as excited as we are, I think it's really important that the life sciences sector always starts with world-class science and scientific-driven innovation. And we have world-class academic institutions and research facilities that are daily dis making discoveries that have commercial value. And that's why the investors are attracted to it. Yeah. With any kind of investment uh, summit or uh, or some sort of forum, um, it will often reveal where the challenges are for the sector, because obviously they're not entirely satisfying every investment requirement mm -hmm. and, and prerogative in all of this. Where, where are you seeing still some of the challenges for the sector? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting when you look at who attended last week. So we had 409 people from 32 countries attend mm -hmm. our virtual investor conference. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, we hosted the conference live in person and there were 75 people in a hotel room in Vancouver. Right. So um, as we all debate the merits and joys and maybe not joys of virtual events, we intentionally made this event virtual this year because we thought the reach that we could get from global attendance far outweighed what we would experience in the, you know, being in a hotel room. A, a hybrid event would be optimal. But what I think is interesting is you see a spotlight on BC's innovation. We had investors from all five continents 
South Africa, Australia, all across Asia, all across Europe, South America, mm-hmm. all across North America. Our goal is to hit Antarctica next year. But what you saw was people are looking for, again, that scientific innovation that they see economic potential in. Now, some of the challenges of the sector, if we look a little bit more close to home, is as we're attracting all this investment, we're seeing companies growing substantially. And some of those barriers that we have in the sector are getting even aggravated. So what I mean by that is we have a critical shortage of wet lab space. So when someone is in an academic institution or research facility and they need to be able to jump into more of a commercial lab to take their innovation if they, you know, if they see it as commercially viable, we need to really accelerate in, in developing that infrastructure. The other thing is you have companies like Abcelera and Zymeworks and many more that have become household names through the pandemic that are also trying to hire a lot of people as they're expanding their facilities. So skills training, attracting, developing and retaining talent is a number one priority for our sector. So is does that mean that some of the investment comes with a little bit of restraint or a little bit of uh, uh, requirement and certain types of approaches that are taken uh, in order to essentially furnish the funds because they're because you're maybe behind on bricks and mortar, you're behind on the the talent that you need in the field and that kind of thing. I don't know whether it's necessarily a hesitancy, but it really depends on what stage of investment the people are making at the time. So. One of the unique strengths that we have is a very strong angel network that invests in very early stage discoveries. So those those investors are probably not really that worried about bricks and mortar, other than of course, you know, having a lab space and being sure that people can have the talent to to hit the milestones. Whereas other companies may have, you know, more hard and fast barriers along the way. I certainly haven't heard from our community that it's a problem yet that they can't attract money because of these things. But I can tell you that the speed at which they can advance their innovation gets stalled if they don't have a place to set up their lab or if they can't find the people they need to to perform the work. Yeah, and possibly um, affect their next series of investments, right? Well, well that's just it because their next, those milestones typically then advance you to a next series of investment. Yeah. I'm I'm curious because uh, because the investors uh, really are attracted from a lot of different countries, continents, uh, in all of this. Is there a, is there any kind of identity of the British Columbian life sciences sector that's emerged uh, globally, where you know we are known for a certain type? Um, of- yes, I think that um, I think. I've always felt this, we are a pretty international city. And so I think a lot of our innovators, many of them have immigrated from other places, first of all, have connections in other countries. So that is helpful. Um, but I also think we are very well known as an antibody hub. You know, we've got, you know, 20, 30 years of very strong innovation in antibodies. And it all started at, at UBC and they created a company that spun into another company. Eventually Amgen bought the facility and left that research facility in Burnaby. It's still there. And many of our, if you look around, this is exactly how clusters develop. You know, you can see people that graduated from those companies that are all working at, at these very strong antibody companies that we now have. 
We're also very well known for lipid nanoparticles and nanomedicine. And so I think many have probably heard that the Pfizer vaccine is powered by um, BC technology that came out of Acuitas, which yep. is again another UBC spin out. So, you know, we are, we're known for nanomedicine, we're known for our oncology genomics, um, and, uh, you know, and then as I say, antibodies. Yeah. And is the province reaching a certain scale with enough of the companies at the moment? Because as you know, the, sometimes you just frankly hit a ceiling. Um, you you need to grow, but you can't grow. Um, are, are we getting a little bit better as a province as a, as a scaling up? We're definitely getting um, better. In fact, there was a report out from Startup Genome that looks at um, life sciences ecosystems around the world and ranks them. Vancouver was just ranked 21st in the world, mm -hmm. and we were the only Canadian company, only Canadian region in the top 25. Yeah. So that is massive, massive recognition for British Columbia and Vancouver. Would have we hit a ceiling? Not even close. <laughs> there is yeah. a lot of a lot of runway for us. Are we starting to hit critical mass in some particular areas? that we can call ourselves a cluster? I would say, yeah, we're on our way. We are the fastest growing life sciences sector in Canada and very likely the fastest growing sector in British Columbia now. And, and as part of that scale, um, are companies increasingly looking for partnerships in order to, uh, to reach that? Yeah, absolutely. You look at Upsellera, I mean, they're essentially a drug discovery technology platform. And their business model is about working with partners. That's mm. really where the Eli. So you, yeah, that's the other area that we are quite strong is what what I refer to as bringing together cross disciplinary science in order to develop human health solutions. So in yeah. other words, Carl is a physicist. Technology and biology came together. If you go back in time with some of the technology and innovation that has come out of here, angiotech was one of the first drug eluted stents. You know, so that was mixing chemistry and and medical devices. So you you see a lot of that cross disciplinary strength that comes out of our academic institutions and research facilities. That is a uniqueness to the BC life sciences sector. Yeah. I know you had a provincial minister uh, attend and, and speak to the conference, um, but there must be some messages in all of this development there for senior levels of government. And I wonder whether you're also noticing that there has to be a little bit of a shift in the, the ways in which government uh, helps seed some of this growth. I think there absolutely is, and you've probably heard me say it many times, there's no sector better positioned to help drive the economic recovery and diversification of our, of our economy in British Columbia. While the innovative solutions are so critical to not only preparing for the next pandemic, but also for the sustainability of our healthcare system. And so I think that that message is being heard. Um, you know, BC is undertaking, um, a approach right now of developing an economic framework for the future with hiring Mariana Mazakuda. And, right. um, you know, life sciences fits very well into a mission-driven um, economic strategy. And I certainly am, you know, 
working with the government on what some of those things could look like to help advance the sector, because I think we all agree we need to ensure that the BC economy is set up well for the future and more diversified than it has been in the past. Yeah. So, so how in the end do you feel, Wendy, is British Columbia fitting in to the Canadian and North American sectors where we would have in particular the labor competition, you know? Um, I think BC's very strong. We are um, looking at how British Columbia can play a very active role in the national biomanufacturing and life sciences strategy that was announced by ICED back in August. One of the areas of particular strength is actually talent. So undertaking um, being able to upskill, reskill, and future skill our talent is probably the the most critical thing we can do. And because of our particular areas of expertise that I already talked about, we're so well positioned to take a leadership role in that space. But it's not something with talent in particular, it's not something that you can snap your fingers and this afternoon, suddenly all these people start showing up. Um, What kind of message do you think the government has heard about this in terms of what sort of seats we need in our universities, what kinds of incentives we need for location, um, how housing fits into all of this. You know, that's a lot to get. It is a lot to get. I think that um, we there have been a number of um, reports released recently that came out of BioTalent Canada, who looks at the bioeconomy generally. So that's broader than life sciences, oceans, agriculture, biofuels, stuff like that. But um, they have released a report of the amount of seats that are expected to be needed over the next you know, 10 years. I think it goes to 2030, something like 65,000. So there is a lot of, you know, of course- 65,000, did I hear right? Yeah, across a broad sector, a very, and so we all, wherever we sit in this country, make sure that everybody is aware of that. And we are talking about with our, we're really blessed in British Columbia from the perspective of the collaboration that happens between industry and academic institutions. A lot of them are members of LSBC, that's where they come together. And so we're having a lot of very active conversations right now about addressing the talent gap and ensuring that people that are coming out of academic institutions have the skills they need for the future, but also industry playing a much bigger role in also talent development. Uh, right. So mid-career training, those kinds of things. Yeah, like- and that's where it comes. You know, reskilling, new skilling, and um, you know, it's wonderful that we have a national biomanufacturing strategy. But what we also need is a national biomanufacturing training strategy because we're creating a lot of jobs and we need to make sure that those skills are, that people have those skills so that we can develop them, but also attract them. And one thing that is uh, very exciting, it was just, um, there was a follow-on announcement of it today, is there's an institution in Ireland called NIBERT, which is the National uh, Biomanufacturing Training Center. And they have a proprietary curriculum for developing um, biomanufacturing skills and talent, which Canada has an exclusive right for. So working with an organization called CASEL, which is the Canadian Alliance of Life Sciences Skills and Training, they have uh, got the rights for the NIBERT training. 
So we're looking at, you know, accelerating having that training um, come to Canadians. And Edmare is uh, just announced a partnership today with them to help also, you know, amplify that and get this out. But you're right. It doesn't get turned on. Auto, like, no. It's not like tomorrow we're going to have a thousand extra people trained and ready to go. But it is going to be through collaboration of government, academic institutions, institutions like Edmare and industry to really put a focus on this so that the Abcelerids and the Zymeworks and the Xenons that are actively out, um, you know, recruiting people can find the people they need. Meantime, tell our children and grandchildren to go into STEM. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. Good <laughs> well, to see you. we have our Career Connect Day coming up in uh, January where we put a spotlight on what types of careers exist in life sciences. So you'll see a big focus on biomanufacturing at that. Okay. Good commercial there. All right. Thank you. <laughs> always, always good to see you and always insightful. Thanks a lot for your help today. Thanks, Kirk. Wendy Hurlbert is the president and CEO of Life Sciences BC. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief of BIB. Thanks a lot for watching.